This is a Kitty Pod production. Welcome to CR Crime, a podcast series that deals with tales of true crime as they happen here in New York's capital region. I'm your host, Jason Bullitt. This week, we mark the beginning of a school year unlike any other by looking back at a hostage incident and attempted murder at an area college and the sad end of the perpetrator thereof. 22 episodes into this podcast and me thinks we're mailing in these intros, no? Once again, though, some housekeeping off the top. First and most importantly, I realize that I've made a pig-headed decision in going bi-weekly, so starting with this episode... We'll go back to weekly episodes every Thursday, as it has been since the beginning of this podcast series five months ago. Second of all, as this is the month where children are going back to school, be it virtually, in person, or both, every episode this month of September will deal with true crime tied to schools or students therein. With all that out of the way, on with this week's episode. The University at Albany colloquially known around these parts as either SUNY Albany, UAlbany, or even UA, was founded in 1844 as an independent teacher's college known as the New York State Normal School. It became the New York State Normal College at Albany by the end of the 19th century, and thanks to a revised four-year curriculum, it became the first such institution in the state of New York to award bachelor's degrees. The year 1909 saw the establishment of what is now the downtown campus between Western and Washington Avenues in Albany. Other changes in the intervening year saw the school award master's degrees and change its name yet again, this time to the New York State College for Teachers at Albany, or Albany State Teachers College for short. In 1948, the State University of New York system, or SUNY, was founded and the Albany School became a charter member as well as its crown jewel. Then Governor Nelson Rockefeller saw to the construction of no less than 50 college campuses throughout the state as a response to the post-World War II baby boom. By the mid-1960s, the children of those who returned home from combat in Europe and the Pacific would be looking to continue their education. By then, the college had become the State University College at Albany assuming its full and current name of the University at Albany State University of New York in 1962. The main uptown campus was completed several years later with the East Campus, renamed the Health Science Campus in 2016, across the Hudson River in Rensselaer towards the turn of the millennium. The school's sports teams, known as the Great Danes, have seen a great deal of success in the early 21st century. The men's basketball team, led by head coach Will Brown, made appearances in the NCAA tournament in 2006-2007 and three consecutive appearances in the last decade, the 2010s. Not to be outdone, the women made six straight appearances in their version of the big dance, including a famous upset of Florida in the first round of the 2016 tournament. Two years ago in 2018, the men's lacrosse team pulled off an amazing Cinderella run to the NCAA Final Four, where they lost to Yale in the national semifinals. Bob Ford was the head coach of the school's football team for four decades, leading them from club status all the way to the NCAA's football championship subdivision, formerly Division I AA. I'm old school like that. 
Amongst the noble alumni to grace the UA campus are author and Capital City native William Kennedy, Nobel Prize winning author Toni Morrison, San Francisco City Supervisor and LGBT activist Harvey Milk, actors Edward Burns, Steve Gutenberg, and D.B. Woodside, actress-slash-rapper Aquafina, former Albany Mayor Jerry Jennings, a number of New York State Assembly members, and the late WWE professional wrestler Ashley Massaro. While both UA and the SUNY system have had their share of ups and downs in the last three decades, there was an incident where the purple and gold came close to being drenched in crimson, and it took place at an already stressful time for students and faculty alike. Mid-December 1994 saw the end of the fall semester at SUNY Albany, and with it came the headlong rush into final exams. Couple that with the Christmas season, and the stresses were doubled in some cases. On December 14th, Ralph Tortorici added to the pile when he took hostages inside a UA lecture hall. But before we get into all that, let's examine this perpetrator. Ralph Tortorici was born in 1968 at the Albany Medical Center. He had shown a great amount of intelligence and athleticism, seemingly dwelling between the realms of jockhood and nerdhood during his school days by both being a fan of chess and even going so far as earning a spot on his school's varsity wrestling team. For all this, he enjoyed great popularity. I'm sure for the latter rather than the former. However, his teenage years were marked with bouts of aggression and antagonism towards family members, and once his 20s arrived, so did the first bits of schizophrenia. Tortorici was of the strong belief that the cops, as well as several of his family members, were following him and looking to install microchips in his brain, teeth, and penis. To the latter, he needed three surgeries to fix a deformed urethra. All medical issues sorted, Tortorici enlisted in the Army National Guard, earning a recommendation for Officers Candidate School in the process. He was honorably discharged in 1990, and it was off to UAlbany, presumably on the GI Bill. Tortorici's time at UA is best described as intermittent at best. He had been under psychiatric care, but somehow had fallen through the cracks. By this time, he was a senior majoring in psychology at the ripe age of 26 years old and had never run afoul of trouble on campus despite his threatening behavior brought on by paranoid schizophrenia, complaining of voices in his head. That was until that December day. As the 9 o'clock hour neared that morning, students were assembling in lecture hall number 5 underneath the academic podium on the uptown campus for Hans Polander's last history of ancient Greece class before finals week. The professor was five minutes into a lecture on Alexander the Great when Tortorici burst into the lecture hall, toting a rifle and announcing to those assembled that he was taking the lecture hall hostage. At 9.30, with the doors tied off with a fire hose and a couple of chairs, Polsander rushed to inform campus police. Tortorici demanded the students take cover under their desks, which they did, and even attempted to study for their final exams in an attempt to occupy themselves. As the drama unfolded, multiple agencies responded to the UA campus, 
surrounded the lecture center and tried to talk to Tortorici by way of what the Albany Times Union called a classroom computer system, including a microphone and speakers. Oh, the 90s. Tortorici noticed Jason McEnany, a freshman from the Long Island town of Bethpage, sliding toward the back doors of the lecture hall and yelled at him to move somewhere else in the area. He did so again half an hour later. This time, three steps from the bottom, McEnany swung around and grabbed the butt of the rifle. Tortorici fired off three shots, hitting McEnany with one of them in the groin, all while holding on to the rifle all the while. Another freshman named Jason Alexander, an All-American lacrosse player not to be confused with the actor of the same name, rushed at Tortorici and tackled him at the top of the stairs. He was joined by five other students in subduing Tortorici, who at that point produced a hunting knife from his right leg and slashed Alexander in the arm. A foreign exchange student from Japan by the name of Yuki Akagi untied the fire hose from the back door, thus allowing the SWAT team to burst into the lecture hall. Tortorici was soon hauled out in handcuffs. After two and a half hours, the drama was over. It should be noted that before the hostage situation, Tortorici had a previous encounter with law enforcement. Two weeks earlier, on November 29th, Albany police arrested him for possession of a small amount of crack. Meanwhile, life at the UA campus was thrown on its ear. Classes that had been scheduled on that day were rescheduled for the next day. And worried parents jammed the university switchboard calling about their children who were on campus and may have been involved in the incident. Once again, nota bene that this was the mid-1990s and social media wouldn't become a thing for another two decades or so. And as if that wasn't enough, this wasn't the only incident UA had seen that semester. There were reports that a black man had stormed into a white female student's dorm room and had beaten her up sometime earlier. The student's father was arrested, and it came out that she made up the story to protect the man in question. Either way, the incident sparked a massive debate on racial tensions at the school. The resulting trial would prove a noteworthy example in the debate over whether those suffering from mental illness are competent to stand trial for a crime they committed. Usually, those who are of clear sanity are allowed to stand trial. Tortorici was sent to the place of his birth, the Albany Medical Center, for two days' treatment. He was released on December 16th, your narrator's 12th birthday. After he was treated for a laceration on his right hand, he suffered during the attack. On January 6, 1995, he was taken to the Mid-Hudson Psychiatric Center in Orange County, where hospital officials at first described them as aggressive, refusing medication on the regular. Within two months, Tortorici had finally gained lucidity and began complying with hospital rules. Tortorici was convicted of first-degree assault, second-degree attempted murder, second-degree kidnapping, and second- and fourth-degree criminal possession of a weapon. Despite what was obvious incompetence on his part, the trial began on January 3, 1996. During the trial, Dr. Lawrence Siegel submitted a letter to Prosecutor Cheryl Coleman, then the Albany County Assistant District Attorney, stating why Tortorici should never have been put in this position in the first place due to incompetence. 
Siegel was the only psychological expert the prosecution persuaded to talk with Tortorici. Coleman then passed the letter to the presiding judge, Larry Rosen, who disregarded it, thus allowing the trial to go on. Tortorici ended up being tried in absentia after Judge Rosen allowed a waiver, saying the former couldn't be present in the courtroom during the trial. After 13 days of testimony, including that of Jason McEnany, the trial fell to the jury. Tortorici was found guilty on the aforementioned charges. He returned to the courtroom for his sentencing a month later, where he launched into a rant about being descended from the Roman Empire upon hearing his sentence. Tortorici, who would ultimately be sentenced to the maximum term of 20 to 47 years in state prison, was ordered by Rosen to be taken out of the courtroom. An appeal was filed saying that Judge Rosen disregarded Dr. Siegel's letter, as stated just moments ago, but the appeal was denied in April of 1998. Nine months later, January of 1999, another appeal was filed with the State Court of Appeals, talk about Department of Redundancy Department, where it was likewise turned down. Tortorici was originally scheduled for parole on October 2nd, 2011, but he wouldn't be alive to see a parole board hear his case for release. Months after his sentencing, Tortorici attempted to commit suicide by hanging himself with a bedsheet, but failed to do so. He was soon shuttled between the Sullivan Correctional Facility and the Central New York Psychiatric Facility north of Utica. After a year there, his physiology appeared to be on the upswing and he was released in January of 1998. But little did anyone know how wrong they were. On July 14, 1999, Tortorici was transferred back to the Sullivan Correctional Facility, one of New York State's nine prisons where those with mental illness could receive care graded as Level 1 by the State Office of Mental Health. It was at SCF where Tortorici received regular treatment. Sadly, it was also where Tortorici finally succeeded in offing himself. In the early morning of August 10, 1999, at 12 minutes to 5 o'clock in the morning, Tortorici was found in his cell with a bedsheet hung round his neck. Two hours later, the coroner pronounced him dead. Ralph Tortorici was all of 31 years old. For those of you who want more information and insight about this incident and the insanity defense as regards the trial of Ralph Tortorici, may your narrator suggest an episode of the PBS series Frontline entitled A Case of Insanity which details the incident in trial in regards to the use of the insanity defense in a far better way than I try to do in this episode. Thanks for listening to this episode of CR Crime, the only podcast that deals with tales of true crime from New York's capital region. This podcast is written, produced, narrated, and edited by yours truly, Jason Bullitt, also host of the Keep It To Yourself podcast, of which this is an offshoot. If you like this podcast, you can review this and my other podcast, in fact, the whole feed, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or the podcast of your choosing. Or better yet, tell a friend and those in your circle. That's the best way that podcasts help get promoted and get more listeners. Until next week, stay safe out there. Bye-bye.